Hey Mike, do you want to come to my party? No. Wait, did I mention that there's cheese fondue there? Okay, maybe for like 15 minutes. You know, everyone who comes gets an iTunes gift card. Oh, okay, I'm there. Obviously, the way we react to invitations depends on the nature of the thing we're being invited to. If the thing was cool enough, we would be pumped about it no matter how strange the invitation was. Funny that I should mention that, because we're going to be looking at some very cryptic invitations tonight that are tucked away in the book of Revelation. They might not even seem like invitations at first. Talk of angels, churches, what they're succeeding at and failing in. But in that symbolic language, there may be an invitation to not just a party, but the greatest party ever. Stay tuned. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life. Today, yeah, we are going to be talking about the book of Revelation. A little slice of the book of Revelation. I'm talking about the biblical book of Revelation. And in it, there's some unexpected content, uh, if you are able to understand the symbolic language, that applies to everyone, everywhere, at any time, and has to do with what it may be the coolest thing that human beings can participate in. So why wouldn't we want to check that out? My name is Curtis. I'm going to help walk us through it today. And uh, we're going to do this looking through the lens of Emanuel Swedenborg, or Swedenborg's lens, or whatever you want to call it, as we always do. Who was Swedenborg? What did he do? Why does it matter? Check these out. If you want to know who he was, when he lived, all that, I'd say this little one is good. If you want to know what did he discover, it would be this one. And we're going to use those insights to try to navigate these seven letters to these angels of these seven churches. So why does it matter? Why does it mean anything? If you want to be part of the conversation today, get your questions in, get your comments in. We're going to have a Q&A session. I mean, you know, I do my best. It's usually not that satisfying for, for you guys on your end, but we like to do them anyway. That's going to be at the end of the show. We are going to be looking at what Swedenborg calls the new church and the future of the human race, and we're going to begin it now with part one. So we are invited to be part of something big, and how big? Like all the way big. Um, I would say it's the next step uh, in humanity, in human evolution. It's what Swedenborg describes as the new church, which is a new mindset, a new way of thinking about the world or looking at it, a new day for the human race. And if he's right, the best state of affairs that have ever occurred on the planet. Like the the people that make up the human species are going to be the most in tune with each other, in tune with God and with spiritual reality. It's going to be the best time to be alive ever, even surpassing anything we've ever done. And it's on the way and we're invited to participate. So that sounds like it's something like worth taking them up on, right? Uh, so we talked about a little bit about this phenomenon already in a couple of episodes in a couple different ways. If you remember, we had this about an earlier part of the book of Revelation. This was some of the ideas that were key to this new church. This is the new church thing itself. Uh, so you can check out these episodes at your leisure, but today we're going to be looking at, in particular, the invitation to join this new church and 
what it will take to accept that invitation. It's not as simple as just RSVPing. There is work to be done to get us from here to there. So this new church, I call it, it's called the new church, but a church, according to Swedenborg, is much more a thing in the heart and mind. There can be individuals that organize together, but at its core, it's how you think about the world, it's how you care about things, it's what you care about and what you prioritize in your action. That is this new church, and it's very broad, it's very universal, but Swedenborg says there are some particulars that we've got to have in our minds if we're going to want to participate in this thing to the fullest extent that it can be participated in. He describes a bit of what's needed in the concept of God here in True Christianity 621. These are Swedenborg's books. Click them, as always, and you can download free ebook, free PDF, uh, whatever suits your reading preferences. On the subject of God, the angels said, to Swedenborg talking to angels, as he was wont to do in his journeys, all who come into heaven are allotted a place there and experience eternal joy on the basis of their idea of God. One's idea of God is what rules universally and everything having to do with worship. An idea of God is a spirit. If a spirit is believed to be like ether or wind, is a meaningless idea. An idea of God as a human being is a true idea. God is divine love and divine wisdom and all the attributes that go along with them. A human being has love and wisdom. Ether and wind do not. The idea of God that we have in heaven is the idea of the Lord our Savior. He is the God of heaven and earth as he taught himself in the book of Matthew. If your idea of God becomes like ours, then we will all be able to be together. So there are a lot of things that I want to talk about in there. Initially, it's not that any idea is going to keep you out of heaven or an idea of God. It's just it shifts your placement within it. That's a particular group of people talking and saying, we, this is our idea of God. And it happens to be accurate that God is not like an object. God is like a person or God is not um, unfathomable. God is like something you can relate to and that we are actually human because God is human. And all the time that we spend in this world figuring out how to try to relate to these other things called human beings, that's the foundation, the groundwork for the relationship with God, that there's the same kind of connection. It's interesting the point he makes about love and wisdom, that if God is essentially love and wisdom, when I picture those, I think of abstract, sort of shapeless things, but where can you see love and wisdom? You see it in person. A person can love something, a person can know something, and that God is doing this on the, the grand scale, on the essential level. And so we have to kind of be able to approach God as he really is, in, this, in, a, in a form of a person. And that doesn't necessarily mean Jesus Christ. That's what's referred to in that. But the, the divine human is a concept that Swedenborg says has been present in many, many cultures and religions throughout history. It just takes knowing that this is something, this is someone <laughs> that I just unproved my point with. This is someone that we can relate to. All right. So God is relatable. Um, once you have that in, you've taken your first tiny little step to the new church. So congrats, but there's a lot more to go. And this is illustrated by our little game board that we have up here. We'll zoom into it. You remember, if you if you saw our other Revelation shows that I just had, had links to, there's a, this is a, uh, this is a layout of the book of Revelation. You see you have the beginning vision and then all the way to the ending vision. This is all the stuff that occurs in the text. We're on that second block there with the angels, because Right here, we've, we know what the goal is, and we know what the end result will be, but this is 
this step we're on right now is about understanding that goal and maybe more importantly, understanding the obstacles that are going to be in the way. Because if we want to understand how to get there, we've got to understand what we've got to get around to get there. And the goal is no good if we don't know how to achieve the goal. So let's read a little further. This is True Christianity 619. Without truths, we cannot have an accurate concept of the Lord. So we got to know things. So we're here to learn. You've got to know things. Without truths, there is also no faith and therefore no goodwill. This means that without truths, there is no theology. And where there is no theology, there is no church. Yet the crowd of people who call themselves Christians today lack truths. Ah, burn. I want to just like put a little aloe on that burn by saying that he is saying today, meaning the 1760s, I believe, is when he published this book, or somewhere right there around. So he's talking about the Christian church of his day, not every single Christian, but he was saying he saw a lot of corruption and a lot of um, people posing as good people who weren't. They say they're in the light of the gospel, but in fact they are in thick darkness. Today truths lie well hidden beneath falsities. The truth of this has been clearly revealed to me through the spheres in the spiritual world that flow forth from modern-day Christianity and spread themselves abroad. So with Swedenborg, he's not just like, I know that something's false. He's, I saw the spiritual counterpart to this thing. I observed it with my eyes. And it looked something like this. There were actually layers of spiritual pollution that were keeping people and God separate. People symbolized by the earth, God symbolized by the sun. There was one layer that he says takes away people's belief in the divinity of the Lord's human nature. There was another layer of spiritual pollution that induced a drowsy stupor regarding the oneness of God, the process of regeneration, and the means of being saved, so that the way to connect was cloudy. And then finally, he says that there was a layer that takes away any connection between faith and goodwill, or between religion and kindness, so that you could say, oh yeah, 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 I'm, I'm a religious person, but you're not nice. And the, those ways of thinking were actually, because spiritually thoughts are things, they were actually causing a lot of interference in this God-to-humanity pathway. And so that's not very cool, and if that was in your world, you know, it's in the spiritual world, so we don't see it, but the people who live in the spiritual world probably didn't really like having that kind of air quality. This is him talking about the angels, talking about that, those layers of pollution. This is true Christianity 619. The angels complain about these spheres and pray to the Lord that they will be dissipated, but the answer they get is that these spheres cannot be dissipated as long as the dragon is still on earth, since that sphere comes from the dragon's gang. So the dragon, it is like Smaug from The, the Hobbit. Uh, what, what's a dra- how are we getting to a dragon in here? Well, as we've pointed out in a couple of shows, you can see him here, the dragon is uh, a symbol, a correspondence for this attitude that love and religion can be separate. That you can say, I've got all kinds of faith here in my precepts. I don't treat people well. I'm nasty towards people, but I'm I'm all right because I'm religious. That is so damaging to the human race on both sides of the religion divide that it's, it is as dangerous as a dragon. And he says that he goes into much detail. Check out those episodes about it. So the dragon, the people who believe in that and have separated love and faith they're causing this pollution, and they can't, it can't just be, God can't just wipe it away, because there's all these people buying into that and holding on to it with their free will. These three spheres are like air masses, originating from the dragon's nostrils, that are then driven far and wide by a windstorm, because they are spiritual, they are able to infiltrate and influence minds. 
There are only a few spheres of spiritual truths in the spiritual world today. They are found only in the new heaven and among the people who are beneath that heaven who have been separated from the dragon's gang. And that's the new church. He's talking about the beginnings of the new church. And at, at the time when Swedenborg was writing, that was the only thing putting out truth, the only uh, air purifier in the spiritual world. And it was not as big. It was small. In fact, it needed badly recruits to it. And these seven letters from the book of Revelation that we're going to look to are actually recruitment tools that were being sent out by the divine to try to get people to be part of this new church because the numbers needed to increase to be able to balance things out. And while these, we're going to look at how these were specific messages to specific groups of people, both spiritually and physically, we'll get to that in a minute, uh, they are actually applicable to all of us because the seven churches that we're going to get to are representative of everybody in the human race. This is Apocalypse Revealed 73. The seven churches do not mean seven churches, but the church in its entirety. Remember, heart and mind. This is a way of living and believing, which in itself is one, but varied in accordance with people's reception. Like We all have our own little religion. The letter was written to the angel of that church because the angel means the angelic society corresponding to a church consisting of such people. So we're going to look at letter. Have you read Revelation? Have you read this part we're talking about? There's letters like to the angel of the church of blank. This is what needs to happen. And so there, that's message to the heaven, and but also to the people on earth who are in communication with that heaven. And when I say communication, I mean we're all in communication with heaven all the time. So you could be linked up with them. We're all li- linked up with different parts of heaven depending on what we love and depending on what we pursue. So this is all very ethereal kind of out there stuff. To try to ground it, we've got some physical objects that are going to help us move through. In the beginning, when we had our thumbnail with the title on it, you saw these stained glass windows. And those are actually stained glass windows that were made of these seven angels that these letters are to. They were in the style made famous by Louis Comfort Tiffany, and they happen to depict exactly what we're talking about here today. And they're part of an exhibit, and we know the person running it because she uh, got, we we got in touch with her because she's a Swedenborgian minister, as it would turn out. So we're going to use these windows and discussion about them to help us move through this whole revelation odyssey. So Reverend Susanna Curry is the one I'm talking about, and she's going to talk a little bit about these windows. We can get familiar with them, and then they'll be our travel companions throughout. So here she is introducing the concept. My name is Reverend Susanna Curry, and I am the board president and founder of In Company with Angels, a nonprofit organization touring a set of seven Tiffany stained glass angel windows that were originally a gift from a general church to a convention church in Cincinnati, Ohio in 1903. It's poignant that today is the day I'm telling you about this because the Reverend Ernie Martin, who was instrumental in getting the windows from their uh, storage places in Ohio to Pennsylvania to finally being found again, passed into the spiritual world yesterday. And I know he's watching over us. After almost 40 years in crates, these windows began a U.S. tour in 2007, and they've toured almost 16 cities and will finally be exhibited next year back where they came from in Westchester, Pennsylvania in July of 2017. The beauty of the angel windows has reached people of many faith traditions, and many of them have reported that they have been touched deeply by the experience. There's something about stained glass, the beauty of it, 
the fact that they are windows that correspond to the way that we have a spiritual essence that only shines forth when the Lord comes through us and our beauty is revealed. And so I know that many people, no matter what their belief in angels, have found that this is an opening into thinking about and discussing with loved ones the afterlife. One particular poignant entry in our guest book was a grandmother who wrote, now I can finally talk to my daughter about what happens when we die. All right, we're going to use the power of stained glass to move ourselves through this. If you want to see more about that particular exhibit she was talking about, check out this link here. And But don't check it out right now. We've got to watch the rest of this show. We've got to tell you important things about this. We're going to look at these letters to these churches. Are you with me? We're going to look at these letters to these churches in Revelation on two levels, as an invitation to these specific groups in the spiritual and physical world, but then we're also going to look at them as an invitation to each one of us at the different phases of our life. So we'll begin big and end small, and we're going to start now with part two. I heard an interview with a guy who did that. You've got mail for AOL, um, and he did it just spontaneously like d- to demonstrate that he was the guy who did it, and it sounds exactly like that. It's just pretty amazing. Sorry, I forgot where we were and what I was talking about. There's a warning. We're going to look at these letters from Revelation. There's a warning in these letters. Uh, you'll see it right as it comes out, and this was distributed throughout the spiritual world. And we did this show about the Last Judgment, which we linked to earlier, and in it we showed that there are these angels going into communities and saying, hey, listen, this is what this is what's up, this is what you need to do, here's how you live, and here's how you thrive. And there was mixed results, mixed reception there. Some people were interested, some were not. There was this whole um, cloud over the spiritual world at the time. There was this wide spectrum of belief, and there was not a clear path for people to go on. So this was the first forays of the divine out to try to shake things out, separate things, and call people individually as they would respond. We're not all the same. We can't all respond to the same kind of invitations because we're starting in different places. And so that's what we're going to be looking at here. And the danger was that as people were called, the, the threats would increase to them because the higher the stakes are and the more worth something a cause is, the greater the risk and the greater the pushback. And you know, you don't have to take my word for that. You know that from Star Wars, right? If you want to be a Jedi Knight, which you may already be on your way to becoming one, as you get better and better, the dark side is going to come after you. They're going to try to flip you or fight you or whatever it is. And as Luke was warned about, uh, I know I'm using the old Star Wars movies, but I don't know the new ones well enough yet. Um, there, you got to be watching out for the anger in your own heart. The dark side is coming up. So, okay, maybe you're not science fiction kind of nerd, but perhaps you like sports. Let me cover you there. If you're going to recruit someone to play professional basketball, you go and you look and you pick somebody who you see, oh, this person has potential. And then do you just say, all right, come on, we're going to the uh, NBA. No, you have to give them intensive training. You have to tell them, look, this is what you're doing well. This is what you're not doing well. Do you want to try to make this journey? If so, it's going to take you turning your whole life around uh, and, and working on this thing. But I think we have a shot to make it, right? That's why it gets more intense as you go along. And that explains a little bit as to why in all these letters that we'll see, there's this phrase here, which is coming on screen, I know your works. 
The Lord says, I know your works. And it means that the Lord is the one who can help people see what is blocking them from heaven. It's not a threat. It's not like, I know what you did. But somebody who's recruiting a basketball player will say, listen, you got a great shot, and you got good ball handling, but your perimeter defense is bad, and you need to work on your free throws. Those are not meant to make you feel bad. It's knowing where you're going. If you have weaknesses, it ain't going to work. So this is about coaching and helping. And really... God is saying that because God is the only one really able to make those kind of assessments because only God truly knows us as we are. This is Apocalypse Revealed 76. I know your works. This symbolically means that the Lord sees all a person's inner and outer qualities simultaneously. Works are often mentioned in the book of Revelation, but few know what works mean. This much is known, that ten people may do works which outwardly appear alike, but which are nevertheless not alike within them all because the works emanate from different ends and different causes and it is the end and cause that makes works to be that make works to be either good or evil for every work is a work of the mind consequently whatever the character of the mind such is the character of the work and if we're going to do this work if we're going to work on this work or allow this work to be done in us we have to be willing to look at what are our bad habits and how do we get rid of them? This is Apocalypse Revealed 72. The new church, which is the new Jerusalem, is formed of those who repent of their evil works. Ah, if you don't like that word evil, then I would insert harmful. This, it's not, again, it's not about shame if you're recruiting someone to play basketball or trying to turn them into a Jedi. It's about where we're going, you're really going to need skills, and we got to be willing to look at those and work on those. And so that's the essence of these letters. Unfortunately, we don't have the letters, so we're not going to get to look at them today, but... Hey, I'm doing a show. Oh. Oh, thanks. Mail call? What? Can you... It's the the letters. The letters to the angels in the book of Revelation. I can't believe... These must have gotten rerouted in the mail or some kind of plot point that makes sense, so they're here. This is amazing. I can't believe... We got to open one of these. Do you think... I mean... We got it. They're addressed here. So let's take a look at these letters I've been talking about the whole time. And what do they really say? Let's do this one. Ephesus, why not? Um, they really, they actually sealed it. That's amazing. All right. So this, this, what I hold in my hand, this is an invitation to the new church. Everything I was saying about how cool that is, how it's going to change the human race, life is going to be better. We have that right here. And so this is going to be so, this is going to be the most exciting thing that I've ever read and I'm going to read it with you right now. Okay. <clears throat> to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars. I know your works and your patience. Remember, therefore, what? what is this? This is like cryptic, and it's confronting, and it, what? what's it even doing? Uh, this is not exactly what I thought. Yeah? Oh. Hey, it showed up, man. I ordered from Swedenborg Foundation Labs. This is this is two coincidences, coincidence I, that I cannot believe just happened in a row. This is SF Labs Apocalypse Revealed Codebreaker machine. Don't turn off your feed. Keep watching. It's legit to use things like this to advance the narrative. What this does is you stick letters in it, and then those letters get the Apocalypse Revealed translation so that you understand the correspondential nature of the language, and therefore you get a little insight into what they mean and how they apply. I'm taking this letter, and I'm going to stick it in here, and let's see what it means. All right, I'm not like a real technology guy, but let's try this here. 
Oh, uh, yeah. There it is. To the angel of Ephesus. Like, who is the angel of Ephesus? Look at the bottom. There's the translation. People who focus intently on doctrinal truths and ideas. So this letter would be to the, both the heaven that focuses on that and then all the people on earth that are associated with that focus, right? You got it? And let's turn around and see who it's from. Spoiler alert, these are all from God, but you'll notice in every single one there is a, there is a different title for God. And why? This one says, from he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven lampstands. And that is translated as the living source of all truth and enlightenment. So, this is a letter to people who are focused on ideas and concepts, and it's saying, from the source of all that stuff. So, it's basically saying, hey, I'm somebody you want to hear from. You want to know what I have to say. All right, let's look at what that letter is. Now, in the interest of time, we're not actually going to read this entire letter. You can read it yourself. It's Revelation 2, 1 to 7. But generally, there's this section in the beginning where he talks about obstacles. Now, we're just summarizing here. Oh, I forgot to mention, but we're on sort of the... Can we... Uh, never mind. There's a, we're in summary mode in this machine. I'll show you the dial. We spent a decent amount of time on it. I'll show you that when we pop back out. But this is a summary of what these obstacles are in the internal meaning. Swedenborg says, this group of people has neglected charity and goodwill. So the good news is you know a lot of truth. You got a lot of smarts. The bad news is you're not helping people. It's not warming your heart. So that's a problem. But then it says below, it talks about in the text of Revelation, here's what you need to do. And the internal meaning of that is that you need to turn back to good actions in life or you will lose enlightenment. And that's paraphrased from Apocalypse Revealed 85. So you need to turn back to good actions. And if you put in the work, there's got to be a reward. If you're recording someone for basketball, you're going to tell them you're going to get paid millions of dollars. So what will you get if you're in this group and you do this stuff? Well, that's something we're going to look at right now. So these are the windows with the angel. You can see this is the angel there. To those who overcome, I will give to eat from the tree of life. Notice the tree in the hand, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So, okay, you get some fruit, right? Is that What, what does it mean? What does it mean, eat of the tree of life? That's got to have meaning. So the summary from Apocalypse Revealed is you will be able to take in the goodness of love from the Lord, which is the center of wisdom. So by adding this missing element, you'll have the center of the thing that you were chasing initially, which is this wisdom. So that's how it works. These letters are not to just to specific angels. They are to groups of people, and it's groups of people with a specific meaning, and it's a kind of meaning that's broad enough that anyone could participate. Look, so there's our, there's our summary dial. It's turned to summary because the entire detail is actually go read Apocalypse Revealed yourself. We'll give you a link at the end. But he goes on for many, many pages about this. We got to keep it decently uh, truncated or else we're going to be in, in big trouble. But that wasn't so bad going through that one. Let's do the next group here, right? I got another letter. Let's let's see who's next. What other kinds of people are there? You know, let's try it out here. To the angel of Smyrna. And who is that? People who are engaged in good efforts, but have false ideas and don't think of God as someone to turn to. This is like the opposite of the previous group. They've got good stuff they're doing, but they're, they're clouded up with false ideas, and they don't really have a sense of the source of truth. So, who is this one from? It's from the same God, but 
this one is labeled from the first and the last who was dead and is alive. And that is translated, the divine human who has been unacknowledged and rejected, but is the source of eternal life. So it's saying, I know you don't really think that I'm cool, both me as God, but also the truth that emanates from me. But listen, it's worth your while to talk to me because I've got eternal life. I've got the true life, the thing that can actually activate a human heart and mind into this happy state. So what's the letter like there? We're going to open it up again. We won't read the full Revelation text. It's right there for you in Revelation 2, 8 through 11. We'll just look at the beginning there's this admonition. What is it internally? This is a summary of a number of apocalypse revealed numbers. Your good actions are not genuinely good because false ideas are tainting them. Hell can infiltrate good actions if you don't have truth to give you clarity. You're not seeking the help that I want to give you. Again, this is from a place of love. This is from, hey, here's how your life could be better. So those are the obstacles for this group, the group who are doing good but have falsities. What do you do to get around those? Well, in the second half of the letter, it talks about the uh, the things we need to do, and the internal sense of that is summarized. You need to go through spiritual trials so that your good actions can be purified. So not just simple learning, but these these crises of the Spirit. Don't be afraid. Turn to me as your source of goodness and strength. Hang in there until false concepts can be removed. We would probably that'd probably be the phrasing we'd use these days. Hang in there. Um, so. That's not just saying learn, but it's saying go through these trials. It will give you not just purification from falsity, but this sense of the connection to God as the first sense of truth. If you're willing to do that, what's your reward? Well, let's go see what the angels got in the picture. Uh, I will give you the crown of life. Those who overcome shall not be hurt by the second death. We're actually supposed to be shifted over in this one to the angel with the crown, who's just to the left, but we didn't make it. But that's all right. You will be able to receive heavenly or eternal life. Your efforts will not be captured and corrupted by hell. So, hey, that's a pretty good reward. Eternal heavenly life. So this is the it shows the danger and that you get from it the immunity from the danger. So that's pretty good. Pretty good little machine. That we, what's that? What's that little guy? Analysis analysis detected. This machine has noticed a pattern in these letters. So let's see. What's it got? What is that pattern? For each of these churches, there's three aspects of each letter. The Lord speaks to a particular mindset from a particular divine aspect, right? We see the to and the from. Identifies particular obstacles and vulnerability to the dark side. Tells the blessings that will come from overcoming these obstacles. So this pattern that we've been seeing in the first ones projects to all of these letters. That This is the formula from which God is writing these. And it's the way that... Oh, hey, look additional analysis. There's also this phrase, to those who overcome in all the letters. And Apocalypse Revealed 88 says, this symbolically means to those who fight against their evils and falsities and are reformed. So that's anybody who decides, I know what's harmful in me, and I'm going to push back against it. That's what overcoming means, right? All right, so now that we're armed with that, that should help us coast through these next few. Let's take a look at uh, who's the next group. Let me just uh, grab a letter and stick it in here. Pergamum. So what's the angel of Pergamum? People who think religion is all about good deeds and are not concerned with doctrinal truth. So similar to the previous one, but these people are within the context of religion. Right? The other ones didn't quite think it was anything worth messing with, but these people 
think there is religion, but it doesn't really matter what you know, it's just what you do. So, not saying that's necessarily bad, but there are some flaws in the approach. So, who's this one from? And this is he who has the sharp two-edged sword. And the, the flaw in the approach of not learning the truth is shown in this name that God gives for himself, because that symbolically, correspondentially means the source of doctrinal truth from the word that dispels evil and falsity. Because you, love goes a long way, but unless you know how things work, there are places and states of mind you can never escape from. So he's saying this two-edged sword, this truth is what can dispel falsity. Hasn't that ever happened for you? You learn something about the way that mind works, about the way life works, that frees you up from this place you were trapped in your life for the longest time, that even though you had good intentions, you couldn't get out without knowledge. So it's about both of them being valuable together. So let's see, we got the letter, and we're going to move through our move through our three categories. First, the obstacles which are written in the book of Revelation in symbolic language. Here's a summary of Swedenborg's explanation. Without doctrinal truth to guide you, you are operating in darkness. Evil spirits can trick you into supporting them. And we're going to have a little more about those evil spirits in a moment. You are vulnerable to hypocrisy or taking credit for good deeds, rather than giving credit to the source of good, which is God. So those are the obstacles. Ah, they seem daunting. How do you get around them? Well, This is how. Learn doctrinal truth to help you examine your motives so that your good deeds can be genuinely good. Guard against hypocrisy and taking credit. So you've got one's part of it. Go apply your mind. Learn and apply the learning. Is it worth it? Ah, learning is a pain. Well, let's see what the prize is. So this one says, see this angel here, has got a stone in his hand. What's it mean? Revelation 2.17, To those who overcome, I will give to eat of the hidden manna, and I will give to each one of them a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except the person who receives it. What does it mean, a name on a stone? I guess it's cool to have a stone with a name, but is that really what the prize is? Summary of Swedenborg, you will be able to receive heavenly goodness. You will be given truth that supports and is united with goodness, stones being a symbol of truth. This will give you a heavenly quality that is written on on your heart and on your life. So this we're talking about change, like whole wholesale, whole scale change of how you live life, and with that, the happinesses of heaven. So pretty cool. Um, and I said we would talk about those evil spirits. We'll talk about those evil spirits that this group was vulnerable to. This is Apocalypse Revealed 1.10. Satanic spirits, and this is Swedenborg speaking from his experience, have power through those in the spiritual world who are concerned with works only. But without them, they have no power. For satanic spirits attach such spirits to themselves, if only one of the satanic spirits says, I am your neighbor, and am therefore due the performance of kind offices. On hearing this, the spirits concerned only with works go over and render assistance, without inquiring who or of what character the satanic spirit is. That is because they are without any truths, and it is by truths alone that one person can be told apart from another. So it sounds like these are good people, but they're a bit naive. They are vulnerable to being preyed on by cunning people with bad motives and nefarious ends because those people know how to manipulate them because they don't have this framework of street smarts is what you would, is what it basically is. So unless you equip yourself with that, you actually could end up doing more harm than good because you're trying to do something good, but you're doing it in the wrong place, wrong time, to the wrong people, in the wrong way, and you're ending up causing problems for people. So that's the threat, and God is trying to, in that letter, say, listen, let's You've got a good offensive game. Let's work on your defense here. All right, so let's let's uh, go on to the next church. This is getting good, isn't it? All right, next one. 
Let's put this in here. Oops, there is writing on the front. Okay. Thyatira. My Greek isn't great, so if I'm mispronouncing these, many apologies. People, and you see on the bottom there, people whose lives are guided by religious beliefs. So this is people who are living their worldview, living their religion or their spirituality. Let's see, who's this one from? The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Why has he got to talk about his feet? Let's see. The Lord speaking from divine wisdom that is powered by divine love, who is also present in earthly goodness. Feet are the symbol of the outermost parts of the divine. This would be the good works that show up on earth through people or or in um, in person-to-person interaction. The love and the wisdom are the essence behind that. So this is God saying, you like your faith and you're living through it. I am the essence of that. So so please listen, I got some pointers for you here. Let's look at the, the uh, letter itself. Pop. This is Revelation 2, 18 to 29. You can check out the full letter, but we'll go through our categories. The obstacles, the internal sense of those, is that there is a great danger in divorcing faith from charity, which is a terrible perversion of faith. Remember, it was the divorcing of faith and charity that was one of those layers of spiritual pollution. It is the thing which is the dragon. And that might seem like, what what is that even, and why does it matter? But it's it's the principle that allows people to commit atrocity in the name of religion. It's the people, the principle that allows people to say they are doing something for a religious moral reason that's not actually a moral thing. It's because you're taking the concepts of religion and the trappings of it and the ideas around it and divorcing them from basic love towards your fellow human beings. And when you do that, it causes so much trouble because not only does it harm the people you're harming, it makes everybody else not like religion and cuts them off from the potentials that the good parts of it could do. So there's trouble there. So it's not saying this group of people have that, but there is a danger for anybody involved in religion to fall into that. We see this happen with religions throughout history around the world. How do you get around something like this? Man, this seems like a tricky one to navigate. Instructions. Avoid any notion of a saving faith that is not united to charity. Hold fast to a faith that teaches the importance of a life of goodwill. It actually is just kind of saying, be aware. If it's on your radar, the only way you slip out of it is if you don't even think about love. If you're just checking yourself to say, wait, is my religious faith or my spirituality, whatever you want to call it, are my precepts that I live by actually making me a better person, or am I just using them to feel better about myself than other people, or am I using them to justify negative things that I do? Just be conscious of it, it'll work. And if you do that, here's what could happen. You could end up like this angel, with a star in the hand. What does it mean? Revelation 2, 26 to 28. And those who overcome, to them I will give power over the nations. They shall be ruled with a rod of iron, and I will give to them the morning star. Hey, wouldn't you like the morning star? What does it mean? You're obviously not going to have a star in your living room. They're huge. Why Why would it say that in Revelation? Swedenborg says in Apocalypse Revealed in a couple places which we've summarized here, you will receive power over the hellish influences in your lower self, and divine truth from the Word will govern your life. I will give you intelligence and wisdom. Now, stars are often a correspondence with divine truth and with the things of intelligence and wisdom. And the word, it mentions the word there, this is something that is an embodiment of divine truth. Swedenborg says it can be accessed through the correspondences in the Bible currently, but it's 
predated the Bible. It's existed in many different forms, and it is the emanation of, of God, of, of the divine truth from God. And here, we're getting it out of the book of Revelation. So, there's that. You want to do the next one? All right, can, can we top those? Have you seen yourself in any of these groups? Maybe not. Let's see. Maybe you're in the last couple groups here. Let's do this one. All right. All right. To the angel of Sardis. People who go to church, pray, and act outwardly pious, but do not actually learn truth or live with goodwill. This would be, you know, people who are paying lip service, doing the rituals, but they're not actually doing anything that the deeper precepts teach. So let's see, who's this one from? What aspect of God is described? From he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. What does it mean? You see at the bottom, the source of all truth and of all concepts of goodness and truth. So it's saying, you know how you guys go go to the building and sit down and sing the songs, and the whole thing is based on the things that I am. I am the source of everything that's based on, so you need to fill it out. It's not bad that you're going to those places, uh, to, to those rituals and those uh, buildings, but let's fill it out. Let's give it the soul it's meant to have. So there's another letter written. We're going to look at our different categories here. So opening it up, again, you can go read this in the book of Revelation 3, 1 to 6. The obstacles in the internal sense are summarized. You might think you have a spiritual life because you're jumping you're, you're checking these boxes. But outer religious practices are lifeless without learning truth and applying it to life. But then again, it's not just a critique. There's, there's the obstacles, but we're going to give you the way to get around those, which are these. Put life into your worship by applying truth to life. If worship isn't genuinely applied to your life, you won't be able to retain it in the afterlife. So when they talk about love the neighbor or whatever you're whatever you're being taught, whatever you're participating in, go do it. Go try that. Because that is what makes it spiritual. That's what grafts it onto your soul. If you have an external devotion to some kind of anything is just superficial, it, you won't even have it in the spirit. But if it's something that you participate in and it guides your behavior and your motives, then that is going to stick around. And you're going to have it. And if you do this, guess what you'll get? You'll get benefits. Let's take a look at this angel. You see the, the, the clothing there. To those who overcome, those who overcome shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out their names from the book of life, but I will confess their names before my Father and before his angels. This summary in Apocalypse Revealed, you will be able to become spiritual people who can live in heaven because you'll have a character and quality that can receive heaven. So you're going to fill out the practice of ritual with the life prescribed. So that is that choice. And that's like, this is really getting our money's worth. Wait, whoa, another another analysis. I I had no idea. Let's see, high tech. Swedenborg Foundation Labs is just pretty amazing. Those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That is at the bottom of all, if you're reading along in Revelation, pausing this or something, or you go back, you'll notice that phrase is in all of these letters. What does it mean? Swedenborg comments, Apocalypse Revealed 87. He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This symbolically means that anyone who understands these things, let that person obey what the divine truth of the Word teaches those who will be members of the new church, which is the new Jerusalem. So hearing corresponds to obedience. So to spiritually hear something is not just to understand it, but to do it. That is how 
we hear. And again, I already talked about the word, but just to drive it home, this is a deeper, uh, this is a deep div- divine um, conglomeration of everything that's true. I mean, the word is this amazing thing. We we've talked about it in several episodes. We could go into many more episodes about it. For now, just know you can access it through the Bible. Swedenborg says that it was even written into nature originally. So this is an important thing that many people get in touch with in many different ways. So, with all that said, let's uh, let's take a look at uh, one that's close to home. This is uh, Philadelphia. Uh, the Angel of Philadelphia. This is people guided by truths springing from the Lord's goodness. So the the Church of Philadelphia was actually doing just what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be guided by truths springing from the Lord's goodness. So how does the Lord address this church? Let's see. In the from from he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. The source of divine truth who alone has power to save. You're living it, you're walking it. Remember this, keep it up, and I'm the one who's making this all possible. And even for you guys, I have some things to say. So let's see what the uh, letter is. You open it up, it's in Revelation 3, 7 to 13. The obstacles, even these people have obstacles, even though they're doing it right, needing to stay alert and let the Lord protect the way of life that unites truth and goodness. Just because you got there, doesn't mean you automatically stay there. Just like if we're keeping our sports analogy, you get in great shape, you have to keep working or else you're going to fall out of shape pretty quickly at really high levels. So to get around that, remain steadfast in this way of life so that you will be protected during the last judgment and will not use heavenly, not lose heavenly wisdom. We did a show about the last judgment. I'm not going to get into what it was here, but remember this was going out to the spiritual world as well as the natural world, just saying that you have to keep it up or else you are not going to maintain a level this high. And there's there's a good reason to maintain this level, because we're going to do amazing things, and we're going to see that here. What does this angel get out of the whole thing? You see the pillar there. To those who overcome, the, those who overcome, I will make them pillars in the temple of my God. And I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, also my new name. So what, so much name writing, what does it all mean? The summary we've come up with is your life, I mean, the machine came up with your lives will build and sustain the new church mindset in heaven. Divine truth will be engraved on your hearts. You will have a new kind of understanding and relationship with the Lord. So this thing, this coolest thing that can ever exist, the new church that we're talking about, you can be part of the foundation of that if you live in love from truth, right? And you keep at it and go for it. So that's definitely worth it, right? And uh, that's a great high note to end on, but there's one more envelope here. So let's take a look at who this last group is here. The Laodiceans, the angel of the Laodiceans, people who base their beliefs sometimes on their own thinking and sometimes on the word. Remember, the word is this truth. So you vacillate between, and Swedenborg usually uses that phrase, their own thinking, in a negative sense, meaning there's this great truth you can tap into, or there's kind of the limited uh, ego-based mindset that sort of lives in illusions. So these guys have some issues, and let's see who the letter comes from in this case. The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the workmanship of God, which means the Lord is the living word, the origin of divine truth. This is showing this thing that you sometimes come to, there's life in it. So listen to what I have to say. So let's see what this final letter 
is saying, and this is from Revelation 3, 14 to 22, the summary of the internal sense of the obstacles. These people sometimes deny that the word is holy, sometimes acknowledge that it is. Believe they possess plenty of religious goodness and truth and don't need any more learning or developing. Don't know that their thinking lacks coherence and that they don't have genuine truth or goodness. The most dangerous part is that that middle sentence and don't need any more learn don't need any more learning or developing. They think that they don't. They think they have plenty. This is us at times, as we'll see in the next group. So that's a problem because as Swedenborg wrote, it is wisdom to acknowledge that what you know is next to nothing compared to what you don't know. Once you feel like, I've got it, I got all of it, we're in trouble, especially since this particular group is not even really plugged into the divine truth. It only brushes up against it once in a while. Heavy obstacles, but nobody doesn't have ways to get around those. And so here are the instructions that we that the machine summarized from Apocalypse Revealed. It's crucial that you continue to go through trials and temptations in order to be purified. Swedenborg says, only through these trials and temptations do any of us gain spiritual growth. Work to acquire heavenly goodness and wisdom from the Lord by means of truth from the Word. Let your understanding be healed so that you won't profane. So go to this. You brush in against it sometimes. Go there, stay there, learn, and, and learn from it that there's more out there that you don't know. And it's worth it, because if you're if you're willing and able to do this, you can become like this angel holding the rod. It says, to those who overcome, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sit with my father on his throne. So even though you had these problems, you can get to a pretty good spot, which is sitting on the throne. What does it mean? You will be conjoined with the Lord in a heavenly life and consciousness, just as Jesus, through trials and temptations, was united with his soul of divine love. So we can follow that same path. All right, so there's the summary. I mean, hopefully that made some sense to you. If it doesn't, this may make less sense, but you can go to it. This is a link to a Swedenborg search engine where you can go read Swedenborg's Apocalypse Revealed, or order the book. There's, I don't think there's, there's not a new translation of Apocalypse Revealed yet, so you can't download the PDF because we don't have it in e-format. But you can go there, uh, and this will take you right to 680, where he starts. Um, oh yeah, I can't really point around that. Where he starts to talk about this. You can read through the whole thing. As I said, it's, it's even more complex, believe it or not, than we've gone into it here. But hopefully, this has given you a sense of the meaning of the the message that God is trying to send out, who the recipients are and what the purpose of the whole thing is. But this is not just something that goes to groups of people back in the day or, or that we can think about as out there. This is about each of us as well on a, on a micro level. Everything has its larger and smaller scales. On the smallest level, we, all these churches, are playing out in us at different points in our lives. And we're going to look in the last section at how we can recognize all these churches in ourselves and use all, all these instructions to get where we need to go. So let's look at part three. You remember at the beginning, way, way back at the beginning, we were talking about destructive spheres. Do you remember those? There's a picture of the... I'll, I'll just show it to you. So there's... These were blocking the spiritual inflow. And he talked about this is a mass phenomenon across the whole spiritual world because of the way the human race was thinking and believing and acting. But as I said, everything applies on a small level too. So we have these little spheres, these little clouds in each of our hearts, blocking our own little connection with the divine. This is True Christianity 579. 
and it's giving us hope. Because we are all redeemed, we are all capable of being regenerated, each of us in a way that suits the state we are in. Now, that's all capitals because it's a chapter title, so that's how it's written. Yeah, back in the day, you would write really long chapter titles. The good news is everybody can make progress, but not everybody makes progress in the same way. Each of us suited to the state that we are in, and we fluctuate between different states at different parts of our lives. So you can actually see these states in us from time to time, but we hold them in our own little way. The point of all this is that people are different. So what works for you isn't necessarily going to work for me. What I need to do is not the same thing you need to do. It's just like health. You think about the human body, vitamin deficiencies, or uh, you need exercise, whatever it is people need. What you need might not be what someone else needs. So we're all on our individual journeys, and the point is to recognize in ourself what we need and to realize that God is interested in catering to everyone, that, that God is not just like, here's the program, can't deal with it, tough. God is going to come after everybody in the way that's the most friendly to them. That's why all these different letters. So the Lord is helping us to regenerate in our own way. And we're going to go back to our friend Susanna Curry, Reverend Susanna Curry from the beginning, because she had this interesting observation when we did our interview with her, that she was looking at Swedenborg's description of the internal sense of the creation story and juxtaposing it with these seven churches. And to her, she was seeing a connection that linked the two and showed how God is working this regeneration in each of us. So I'll let her introduce the concept. I've been fascinated also by the inner sense that Swedenborg writes about the seven angels of the book of Revelation and the correspondence with the seven days of creation. The seven days of creation being our potential for spiritual development, and then the seven angels of Revelation being how well we might have fulfilled that potential during our lives. If you're looking for an elevator speech about Swedenborgianism, I've often said to people, well, from the beginning of Genesis to the book of Revelation, it's our birth through our resurrection into spiritual life. And the stories in between tell the rest. And so we're just going to go right to the beginning and end here. And kind of, you know, sometimes at the end, there's a throwback to the beginning. So the, the beginning is this creation story with a potential in the end are these the book of Revelation, including these seven churches, which is sort of about how we actually live. So she had a few more thoughts on the linking of the two. So the seven days of creation show us the potential with which we have been endowed as human beings, with the ability to intend and to understand and to grow in that as our spiritual development brings us closer and closer to an understanding of heaven on earth, of how our choices in this world create the heaven or the hell that we live in. So what happens during our lives as we grow and develop? Well, the seven angels of the book of Revelation outline seven possible stages that we may have come to at any point in our lives, but particularly at the end of life, when we're about to make the transition to the spiritual world. How might we have achieved the understanding and the intention of doing good and knowing and seeking truth in our spiritual journey. What have we fulfilled from the potential of our days? So we're going to look at this. We're going to put the days of creation on top of these seven letters to try to give us a clearer sense of how each one applies to us. And you notice that in the seven letters, there was always this war- this warning and these instructions. There was like, a, here's what could go wrong, here's what could go right, a warning and a promise. I mean, and that's how it is for us at every stage. Every stage, we have the potential to go right or to backslide a bit. And that's 
encouraging in that even if you've backslid for 85 steps in a row, there's always the potential to go up from there. And it's a caution because no matter how well things have been going, the next choice is ahead. The next game is ahead. You got to focus on that one. So let's put these, uh, let's put these on the screen. Um, so here's the, the first day of creation is about light and receiving spiritual knowledge, where the angel of Ephesus was about knowing truth. And if you know Swedenborg, you know that truth is a correspondence with light. So right there, you have a connection. And the, if we're in this state, personally, of knowing truth, we are that church. And we have a question we can ask ourselves, have we done anything with that knowledge? Like, we learn stuff, but are we learning, are we using it to do something useful? So that's the little call to us when we know something. In day two is the separating of the waters above from the waters below, realizing that we have an inner and outer self, according to Swedenborg in the internal sense. The angel of Smyrna is living as a spiritual being in a material existence. So when we're in this kind of state, we know, okay, there is spiritual and, and earthly, and they're separate. Are we willing to acknowledge that it all comes from the Lord? Meaning, are, as we travel into this new knowledge of existence, do we connect to source? Because that's going to keep us from meandering and going to keep us going in a positive direction. Moving on to day three, this is when life starts to appear. You know, in the creation story, the soil comes out, the plants come out. This is when we start to make our own independent efforts to live a good life. This is when we say, hey, I am going to change. Or at any time in our lives, when we've started on whatever it is, whatever task X, I'm going to start to make a little step on it. And it, the angel was Pergamum, which was doing good deeds. So this was, the, hey, I'm going to take little steps. The question is, are we willing to keep learning more truth to be able to spot hypocrisy in ourselves and others? So even if we know some action steps, you've got to learn the next one. Are we going to be able to not just get to a certain level and plateau, but continue to keep on working? Day four. And if we get these right, we're, we're continually making little steps toward the new church in our own hearts and minds. The sun, moon, and the stars, you've probably heard of those things. They're pretty important things in the sky, and they, it represents the opening of our hearts and minds to God. And then the angel of Thyatira was about having religious faith, which is really the opening of the heart and the mind to God. So the question, are we separating it from goodwill? As we get insight, as we learn better how to navigate life, are we using it to always increase the love that we have? Is it every step we take upward is leading us to also go outward to people and treat them well and be a good person? Are people glad we're learning the things that we're learning because it makes us more uh, tolerable to be around, right? So then day five, in the creation story, life really begins to show up. These birds and these fish are growing, understanding a willingness to speak the truth. This, the angel of Sardis was living an outwardly religious lifestyle, speaking our beliefs. Remember that those were the people who were going to church, even if they didn't necessarily know what was going on inside. The question, are we applying truth to life? And are we living with goodwill in our hearts? And there's a bit of a cycle here. We're back. We're in a further place than, than day one. But again, the question is, as we continue to grow, as we continue to succeed in wisdom, are we making it so that we are applying it to not just other people, knowing what they need to do, but knowing what we need to do. So then day six, animals and humans appear, like the final day of creating things, living in love and faith and community. That's what it symbolizes. And in Philadelphia, this was the culmination of spiritual growth, using the Lord's truth to live with integrity and love towards others. This is when we're getting it really right. The question is, can we keep at it? Did we not just get complacent because things are going well? And I would also say that even in life when things are going really well, can we remember 
the lessons we learned when it was not going well and continue to want to serve and help even when, you know, we could just cut out and be fine because life is going well. The question, can we stay committed and remain strong in that way of life? And then finally, day seven, God rested. For us internally, it's the resting and the knowledge and the feeling and the experience that we are in God's care. Then there was this last church, Laodicea, feeling confident in our beliefs in God and the Word. That's the, the when it's overcome. The question, does that make us complacent? thinking we've learned enough? Are we willing to go through spiritual trials so that we continue to learn and be purified? We, you're never like, ah, yeah, now I'm now I'm perfectly, completely purified and enlightened, or whatever you want to call it. There's always work to do, and the more we can have that humility, the more we can be ready for the next step, and the next step. You're, you're in this state of peace as you progress, but you're still progressing, all right? So those are little questions you can ask yourself. Uh, as you, as we go through, when when am I? What letters apply to me at what time? How do I continue on so that I can be part of this new church? So that I can be part of not just entering something that makes me really happy, but clearing up the spiritual air for the human race, leading everybody into this happiness, cutting down on spiritual pollution. Uh, so it's all about little day to day steps. Um, you can learn about like little things you can do practically from some shows we've done. For example, we did this show about called The Day-to-Day Process of Our Salvation, which tried to look at how do we take these little steps, how, what does it really look like in a real room there, um, and you know you can figure out what these other groups are here. But the point is, in whatever way fits for you, because it's not the same for everybody. So the takeaway is you're invited to be part of the new church, which that might not sound cool to you yet, but the new church as described by Swedenborg is the coolest thing that has ever existed. This is going to be the greatest happiness for the most conscious minds ever in the history of consciousness. This is the point of creation, is for this connection of God and the human race, and we can be laying groundwork for that right? Pretty exciting, right? Here's, Susanna was excited about it too, and she had some final words and thoughts on how this journey that we need to take to get to that state applies to our own personal lives. In Swedenborg's writings about the seven angels, he explains that their meaning is for those who receive. So whether in listening to this explanation and reading scripture for yourself or in viewing the beautiful Tiffany stained glass angel windows, you have opportunities to open yourself to be one who receives so that these lessons might resonate in you or your spiritual growth journey. In the letter to each angel, there's an admonition, but also a promise for those who overcome. So it's important to remember that with each new stage of spiritual development, we become aware of new challenges as well as new rewards along the path. The inner sense of the seven angels highlights where we are and what's ahead of us. The angel stained glass windows wonderfully correspond to the beauty of each unique human soul as we shine when lit by God's love from within and our windows between the spiritual and natural worlds. So if I've done a good job this episode, don't comment on that. Um, You should be seeing these angels have gone from something obscure and strange to something exciting with promise in it, with warmth in it, with love in it, with wisdom in it. This is God talking to us in the cryptic way that God needs to, to make sure the message gets through when it needs to get through. But this is God speaking to us and calling us specifically based on where we are and who we are to something that's going to be really awesome. And what I want to do is just 
with that in mind, that these angels are a communicator of that. We're just going to look at these images of them, some music on. You've got the ideas in your head. Don't let it be too cluttered. Just see what kind of insights, inspiration you get. We're just going to watch like a minute-long meditation on these and just see does anything cool come up for you. So here it is. to come what we can be heading towards you know and it's not always going to be cryptic it's not always going to be through symbols at times or at at the right time it becomes plain and intuitive and just like just like you communicate with any person that's how we communicate with god or even more so that's where we're heading and uh thanks for like talking about it with me tonight we want to say a couple of little thank yous um thanks for these these windows if you guys want to learn more about them you can check out this book that the swedenborg foundation published i know we're pretty good uh and so and also that music that you heard was part of an album that was written specifically based on these windows and that was by ken turley thank you so much you can pick that up at the website that we had at the beginning of the episode so thanks everyone that helped make this possible thanks mostly to you guys for being interested enough to watch an hour-long or more show on the invitation to the new church. But the new church is going to be worth it. And if you want to be a part of the new church right away, just like and subscribe. <laughs> we'll get you right in there. Uh, that helps this video get out, and people can watch it and hopefully have fun and enjoy themselves and pick out something that, that's going to help them on their own little journey, that, like, like the little journeys that we're all going on. And if you want to make this kind of programming possible, please consider making a donation or a nonprofit. That's how we make things work. Here's a little bit of our philosophy, and then we're going to get to your questions. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. That's why we offer Swedenborg's books as free downloads on Swedenborg.com, and we produce this show and other content on our Off the Left Eye YouTube channel with no paywall or ads. The only way to keep this up, though, is for those of you who like what we're doing and feel comfortable giving to give. If the idea of helping others have easy access to the content we produce feels meaningful to you, please consider supporting this cause with a donation. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins. All right, we did it. Let's do it. Let's take your questions. Um, I would imagine there would be some based on an episode with as much content as this. What's the first one? Mary, do we form our own symbolism and customize our own correspondences? <clears throat> That's a good question. There seems to be um, an objective reality to correspondences. Uh, Swedenborg talks about something, a crow 
symbolizes this or this, but it's always those things. So in that sense, we don't. But then again, there do seem to be correspondences that are specific to ourselves as well. Uh, Swedenborg talks about, in dreams, angelic conversations coming through into specific correspondences that people knew. Like Swedenborg talked about knowing somebody personally who he thought was a particular particularly superficial or or um you know interested in money and wealth over other things and angels were talking and that person showed up in his dream as we mentioned in some videos here so that was a very him specific correspondence i would imagine there's a combination um i think it's i think your your dreams is something in your dream means something different to you than it does to somebody else and i think dreams are correspondences so I think there is a lot of customization, but then again, there are universal symbols as well. I think it's kind of like life. There are certain things we all share, but we have our own takes on it. So those are my thoughts. Swedenborg doesn't address that question specifically, but he does give information about the sort of the two elements of it. So from that, I've synthesized an answer, and hopefully I won't get fired for it. Okay, next one. Thanks, Mary. Lafayette, if God is one, why did Jesus pray several times, and even in private? Why did he call out to the Father on the cross? There's a lot of answers to that, and what I want to say initially is we talked a little bit in this show here about us taking the same path that Jesus took, and God being a human that we can relate to. That the One of the major features of the Incarnation, as described by Swedenborg, is that Jesus walked the same path we do, which means having an inner and outer self, just like we do, and at times being cut off in his outer self from his inner self, that, that God can do it. Swedenborg asserts God is one, but God is potent enough that he can box himself out of himself for a good cause. Um, if you want to see a whole episode about it, we did one called The Spiritual Battles of Jesus Christ. I believe we refer in that episode even to this on the cross, but in short, it was God is so powerful that evil just gets fried as soon as it comes close to God. So in order to deal with evil in a particular way that wouldn't kill people who are in evil, God had to separate off a part of himself to be, or or sometimes inhabit a limited state that would say stuff like that. Even so, all the things that Jesus says are correspondences anyway. Those are a couple of answers. Hopefully some of them make sense. What I would really say is watch our episode, The Spiritual Battles of Jesus Christ because there we go into more depth. And really, Swedenborg's answers to questions like this are not forward answers. They're they're in-depth. Hopefully, I've given something that makes sense as as sort of a teaser to that. But it's a great question, because certainly it's something that rationally you can't just sweep under the rug. Like, wait a second, he's, it seems like he's, if Jesus really is God, why is Jesus talking like this to God? You know, we don't talk like that to ourselves. So again, check out our episode. Read Swedenborg on it. Um, I think Man, would that be true? Christianity is probably the book for that, but don't quote me on that. All right, thanks very much. Let's look at the next one. Sarah Jane, can you believe in Swedenborg if you don't really believe so much in the Bible? I think so, especially because there's so much in... Look, there's a couple of reasons. I was going to say especially because one thing, but no, I think there's multiple things. One reason is that there's so much in Swedenborg that touches other realms of life. This was a very 
biblically-centered episode, and Swedenborg himself was pulling the Word out of the Bible, meaning it was indispensable to him. But when you look at the kinds of things he's talking about, this stuff resonates deeply with with all kinds of people who are not interested in the Bible, and corroborates areas of spirituality that aren't Bible-centric, and also uh, matches with people's experiences that have nothing to do with that. So you certainly can be interested in Swedenborg and not in the Bible at the same time. And the other thing is, Swedenborg's interpretation of the Bible is entirely symbolic. He says the whole thing is correspondences, lots of it. He said he does say some of the things in it historically happened, but he also says a lot of things didn't happen. Noah's flood, for example, never physically took place on the earth. So he kind of jumps around that, like, well, did it happen or not? He says that's not what it's about. It's about the information that's tied up in these symbols. And that's what we were trying to do in this episode is show that these are this is all this is all a code. It's a letter to the deeper parts of us written in this story-like language. Does that make sense? So so there's plenty of people who can get a lot out of Swedenborg without getting into the Bible. Uh, there are plenty of people who do. I would say we're all our own little church. So in your church what works, you know, so that, that's that's where it would be, but I would definitely say that there's a broad expanse in the Word, and like I said, the Word is the living soul of the Bible, as Swedenborg saw it, but he said that that same Word has been in other books previously, he said that it was expressed in nature, it is this thing from God, so maybe you can find it some other way. All right, cool, thanks for the question, let's do one more. Drive-by Poet, what happens if you go to heaven but someone you love deeply and are attached to goes to a very different community or to hell. Do you still get to see them after you die? Answer is yes. You do get to see them. And Swedenborg describes people meeting up and hanging out. Now, he doesn't. He says it doesn't always turn out great um, because, you know, like if you had a friend who was into some really shady stuff here, you go over to their house and like things are cool for a while, but then they're like, hey, do you want to go something, something? And you're like, ah, no, I don't really want it. Or somebody's coming over to their house that's wrapped up in all kinds of stuff. So it does. it's not always pleasant, um, but people are still able to do it. Now, uh, there are angels that go to hell all the time, and they go there to... Now, they don't go there to live, but they go there to make sure that people aren't harming each other too much, to make sure constructive things. You know, it could well be that if somebody is refusing goodness and wants to live in hell, but you care about them, that you're part of the team, like, working with them in their life. And you see here, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of evil or destructive stuff, whichever terminology works for you, people are involved in, there are people that are there trying to help them, you know? And, and there are people who, you know, there, there, are, there are some boundaries, like sometimes you even have to be on the other side of, a, of bars or something from someone, but yet you can still talk to them and communicate with them and try to do things. So I, it's not going to be like, hey, man, this person didn't make it to heaven, so you can't ever see them. You know, love is, is what drives the human race, and if you care about somebody, that matters. There, it's not like because if, they're, if they're really choosing harmful stuff as the core of their life, it's going to harm you being around them a lot, I mean, meaning that your lives are just not going to be compatible, but there's not going to be this cutoff. Um, and in the end, uh, everybody is headed where they're happiest, and I don't, I don't see why you couldn't be an ongoing part of trying to make someone as happy as they can be, even in a tough situation. Swedenborg talks about it just a little, but um, as far as a very different community, 
Oh, I didn't even see that part because I was so focused on the hell part. Very different community, yes. Uh, Swedenborg talks about angels from different communities in different parts of heaven going to see each other. They had known each other in the world, living very far apart, but were so happy to see each other, hugging each other, communicating. They didn't live next to each other, but when they saw each other, it was just like when you have a friend who moved across the country, they're your friend from childhood. When you see him, it can still be that connection. It's just like we're not living in the same area. So it's human. God is human. God is a person. That's what we're trying to teach this episode, right? God is a person. God is not going to do arbitrary, inhumane things like, well, you care about this person, but we're in this weird vacuum where you can't really hang out with them anymore. That's not, God is not interested in breaking people's hearts. God does need to, like, keep harm from happening, but God is not going to just say, no, this is how it works. And the way it works doesn't is not compatible with your puny human feelings. God is human. Remember, God is like us. So life is hard. People make hard decisions, causes pain, but there's got to be ways for us to connect. And, and heaven, the heaven side of thing is about more connection. Swedenborg says that the individual communicates with the whole and the whole with the individual. So everybody in heaven is constantly somehow affecting for the good everybody else in heaven. And heaven is constantly wishing to bring all their joy and happiness to hell, to everybody. (laughs) Swedenborg says an angel in heaven would gladly switch places with anyone in hell if it meant that person would be happy. But the person in hell doesn't want to go up, so they just work to give that person as much happiness as they can have in their state. That's what God is doing for everyone. It's rambling, but it was an answer, right? And and I hope I've... brought home the point that we don't have to fear um, this this giant mechanical severing of ties, that there's going to be some humane, loving answer to it. Um, and, and it seems to me like there's a lot of traveling that can go on. Swedenborg reported going to all different kinds of places in hell, talking with evil spirits and all that, having amiable conversations up to a point with people. So there's not this, like, blackout. Um, there's just rules about this person can't, like, come into your house and squat there or something like that. You know what I mean? There's there's separation, but there's as much connection as can possibly happen without you and them being more harmed and more harmed. Okay, hopefully that made sense. Thanks everyone for joining us. I got really good news. We're going to be improving our show. We're going to be making it better, making it clearer, making it more focused. We're excited. This is sort of like version four of the show we're coming up with. We're going to try to bring you guys a better, more potent prod product uh, that, that hopefully will affect your lives in good ways. And we get to, as we continue to work, to be able to tell these stories, the story of Swedenborg's message, the story of which hopefully is the story of life, of reality, better and better, and in ways that you can more even more easily just share with anybody and get them to understand what's going on. The other good news that goes with that is that we're going to be having to work on that for a couple of weeks, so we're not going to have shows for the next two weeks. Hopefully that's not too bad of news, but we, we need it. It's going to be worth it. Uh, we appreciate your patience. So the following two Mondays, no show. The last Monday in January, we'll be back brand new, brand improved, and hopefully be able to make Monday nights even more fun. You guys have made Monday nights really enjoyable for me. I've loved this stretch of the show here. This stretch that we've done has been really meaningful to me, and I'm looking forward to taking it farther. And this would be going nowhere if it wasn't for you tuning in. Even somebody in the chat room, they they told me was starting to watch this at two in the morning. If you're still awake, thank you for coming. And it's because of you guys uh, both that watch live and who will watch after that we can do this. And so we want to keep doing it. We want to make sure that this is something that, that makes 
you excited to come and watch and makes it so that when you're done watching the show, your life is a little bit better than it was before, and we want to be able to do that to as many people as possible. So we're going to put some time into it, and we'll see you at the end of January. Uh, thank you so much for watching, and I hope you have a great week, a great couple of weeks, and uh, we'll see you well with a new show. All right, thanks. Thank you.